You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. We, um, we do some pretty incredible things here as a body, and... Um, we're working on, or you know, uh, oop, that mic's still on. Working on some uh, new projects that we want to do in the community, and and we'll be illuminating those to you uh, in the days to come uh, before the end of the year. And uh, you know, those things will we will be funding. And, I, you know, I love the book of Galatians where it says, uh, do good to all, but especially the household of faith. And there's a lot of things that we've done here in the household of faith that you don't know about because we guard people's dignity. You know, we don't parade people around when we, you know, keep cars from being repossessed or pay medical bills uh, and things like that, both here um, but also uh, in other church communities uh, and throughout COVID we've were able to underwrite out of this gathering I'm telling you out of this gathering here in Natick I mean look around out of this gathering we underwrote ministries and missions locally and globally you know one in particular um, in uh, Israel we underwrote the entire ministry they called and said hey we're in trouble and I said what do you need and he gave me the dollar amount and we cut that check out of this gathering in Natick Massachusetts yeah come on um, so with that in mind just very very quickly um, we we do want to I was debating just because the atmosphere is th so thick but what better time to to sow and bring a sacrifice uh, than now. Uh, so we want to receive your tithes and offerings and whatever the Lord lays on your heart to give this morning. Um, you guys can come up, ushers. And uh, if you're making out checks, you just make them out to the bridge. Super simple, online as well. Or you can text one word, Bridge Metro West, to the number 94,000, and we'll send you some options. Uh, you can select giving. We'll send you a secure link by which you can give responsibly by credit card or debit card. Um, that's the way a lot of people do. That's how I do now. So, um, Father, in the name of Jesus, we just come into agreement with your word, with your kingdom dynamic. We release authority of that which is in our hands. We place it in your hands, and we just say, Go, Lord. Kingdom come, your will fully manifest on earth as it is in heaven. And as we do this thing, I know that you are so pleased and you release that kingdom dynamic in this room. And we cannot outbless you as much as we try. You release your blessing upon us. And so I come into agreement with your word and I say blessing, 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 and shalom in the name of the Father and the Son, Jesus, and the Spirit who is holy multiply for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You can pass those around.
Or maybe they already did. I don't know. I was praying. I had my eyes closed. I don't know what was going on here. So once again, welcome to the bridge where everything goes according to plan. And uh, I, I had a sense that there, uh, and I thought I was going to orchestrate it, that there were going to be personal prophetic words this morning. And uh, sometimes you don't need to orchestrate it. You just got to take a step back. And we had two mamas in the house speaking over you. And so I hope and my, I, I pray that it went deep for you. And sometimes when you're young, you don't realize what's standing before you. I can remember in my early mid-20s when I thought I knew everything. I meet with people like that now. And, you know, they come and they meet with me and they ask for wisdom and then you give it to them and they say, well, I don't know if I agree with all of that. And I'm just at that stage of life where I can say I don't care because I've been where you are, but you haven't been where I am. And the weight of that responsibility is on me. And so the, the fear of God is on me when I say those things. It's not out of pride or arrogance. It's understanding the impact that you have, have on lives. But I, I can remember uh, being in a house with a, you know older man in a, a small gathering. My, my mentor, my first spiritual father, um, invited me to this small gathering and uh, I didn't know who the dude was he was just this old guy and he was just sitting around talking and you know for those of you uh, who were around when John Paul Jackson was here he planted this church he used to do these things called fireside chats and it was like that it was that format but I didn't know the, who the guy was and it wasn't till later that I realized uh, that it was George Stormont who walked and ministered with Smith Wiggle Wigglesworth. And I didn't understand what was before me until after he had, long after he had passed. And so my charge to you is to understand in those moments who is standing before you. And, and in this day and age, it's popular to say, oh, it's not about a man. I understand that. This morning, it was about women. So there you go. But I, let me say this. I understand the sentiment. But at the same time, the spirit that has infused itself behind the sentiment is pride. It's pride. It's the same sentiment that says, oh, I don't have to go to church. I am the church. No, you're not. I'll keep saying that. As long as people keep saying that, I'll keep saying this. We are the church. It's sitting around with people that maybe you don't know so well or you think you know so well, sitting around with people that maybe you don't like, but you're called to love because iron sharpens iron and if you've ever seen a blade being sharpened, it's a violent process. It's not nice. It's not easy. If you look at it, even at the molecular level, it's an extremely violent process to make that which is dull sharp again. You don't use butter to sharpen a blade. You use something that's harder than the blade itself. So that's what we're here doing. And God uses people. 
You'll hear, hear people say, well, why do they have to go run to Catherine Kuhlman? To, because God uses people. I can't tell you how many meetings I ran to because I was hungry. And I was first man in, last man out because I was hungry. Every once in a while, not, not too often, somebody asks me, you know, well, how did you get to where you are? Because when I was young, I was hungry. And sometimes when you are old, you lose that hunger. You've had a lot of life experience. The walls of your soul get thicker because of circumstances or negative past experiences. And honestly, sometimes the most difficult thing to overcome is when you've dipped your toe into the river, but you have not allowed it to saturate you. Because God will do something by grace. God will do something sovereignly in your life in one season so that you will walk it out intentionally in the next with maturity. But we're, as Verna said, sometimes we're still pining for the days when we got to drink from the bottle. Not you guys, I'm just saying in general. I'm speaking to the online people today. I've had people who are older than I, who've told me that, not here specifically, and that this is true, it's not happened here. They say, well, I'm going to leave my church because I'm not being fed. When I was younger, I was a little more gracious. Now, I just look at them and say, well, go feed somebody. And then during the week, feed yourself. Because we don't understand the transition in our lives sometimes where we, we go from being fed to being the feeder, to being the one that people feed upon. We still want to come and, you know, grab the bottle. I, I, you know, I have weird memories of, of my life in the crib. And I'm not talking MTV. I'm talking about, like, the, my actual crib, like when I was a baby. I don't know how that works. I, I have memories before I had language. I remember my first sort of divine encounter that I didn't understand. There was a, I was in my little natural wood crib and I can't remember, I don't remember if I was asleep or awake, but there was a floor fan in the room because, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't have AC. When I was a kid. And I believe we were living in New Jersey at the time and the fan multiplied and it turned from one fan to three fans and I couldn't really count so I can't remember if it was five fans or seven fans and they started walking toward me and blowing on me now when you're a baby when you're little I mean it was one years out of two years old probably two I don't know however old people were when they still were in cribs that's pretty scary to see a fan multiply and start walking towards you that's not a good time and so I started screaming and crying. And my mom came running into the room and said, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? I, I, I did not have language to describe what I was seeing.
But from the youngest to the oldest, we need encounter. And when you find yourself in the position where you feel like you're not being fed, then you need to reposition yourself before him and understand the disciple must become the discipler. If you're feeling empty inside, chances are that means you're not serving someone else. I, sure, in the process of serving people, you do get, you, you, you can become depleted. But for the most part, the depletion comes when Monday through Saturday, you've lost sight of some of the disciplines that feed you. Because as I look around this room, the vast majority of you can feed yourselves. And we gather here, not only to receive from me, but to receive from each other. Because if you didn't need to receive from each other, then we could just be an online church. I'm sorry, like, and I, I love my online family. But if you are not gathering, you're not in it. You're just observing. We're not called to observe, we're called to do. He didn't say go into all the world and observe the gospel being preached. Say, go into all the world and preach the good news. I'll look back at that in five years and be like, wow, that was really good. So there was this other time that I remember. And I was in my crib, and we also had this bureau that was natural colored. I don't know, it was the 70s whatever the style was then. And cruelly, my mom had left the bottle on top of the bureau in the sight of the crib. Now, of course, I was supposed to be sleeping, I'm sure, but whether I fell asleep and woke, I don't remember, but I remember looking upon the thing I so desired that was so out of reach. And I wept bitterly. until my mom came walking into the room. What's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? And all I could do was reach for the thing that I could not grab a hold of. So she grabbed the bottle and put it in my hands and I drank. But something that's perfectly appropriate when you're one or two is not appropriate when you're 20 or 40, or 60, or 82. <laughs> there comes a time where it's just not cool to call your mom and ask her to bring you a bottle. It's time to feed yourself. And then it's time to feed others. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 27. 
I personally was never a huge fan of the, the, the movie Blues Brothers, and I'm sure it's, you know, mildly inappropriate. But I do the, recall this one line that was repeated often. They would say, we're on a mission from God. Maybe that's what the title of the message should have been today. I don't remember what I titled it, so you'll have to see that when we post it later. It was a great title. But we are on a mission. I want to read our mission statement so that we are all on the same page before we get into this text. And it starts with encounter. Our mission is to demonstrate the love of Jesus, the power of Holy Spirit, and to leave the imprint of the Father's heart on everyone we meet until people, communities, cities, regions, and nations reflect the fruit of the Spirit beginning with love, joy, and peace. There is a metric in the kingdom. And it all starts from encounter, but from encounter, we have to go and demonstrate the kingdom. We don't have to force people to make decisions for Jesus. We have to take the fiery brand of the Holy Spirit, which carries the heart of the Father, and drive it deep into the hearts of mankind. And in that, allow Holy Spirit to come and bring them to the point of decision. Anybody can do this. Some of the greatest evangelists I've ever met have been saved a day, a week, a month. Were their doctrines correct? No. But did they love people? Yes. Some people that I, I can remember this one particular young lady who is saved out of addiction. She would get on the trains in Boston and just talk to people about Jesus all day. When's the last time I did that? When's the last time I was even on a train? It's been a long time. I like to drive. Yeah, or a plane. Let me tell you, the last thing I want to do on a plane is talk to people. That's just, I'm not making an excuse for myself. It's just, that's why God created noise-canceling headphones. And literally, sometimes I've prayed before a flight and said, God, please, no divine appointments today. Please, no divine appointments today. And there was one particular flight early on when the Lord was bringing me out to begin to travel years ago. And I looked up, and sitting across from me was Mitt Romney. And I remember telling this story years ago. I don't remember if it was, you know, from the mic, but I was telling it. And, and someone said, oh, Mitt Romney, that guy. I looked at them, and I said, God loves that guy. And I could feel the heart of the Father over him, and I could also feel the, the heart of myself saying, uh-uh. So I didn't say anything, but like Verna this morning, my heart was pounding. We got off the plane, 
he was on a mission to get out of the airport. And like every non-psycho person would do, I chased him down. And as he stepped onto the escalator to go down toward baggage claim, I put my hand on his shoulder. Now, if you're a politician and you're like on, on the run and you're stepping onto an escalator, probably the last thing that you want to feel is a hand on your shoulder. I'm not even a politician, but man, don't touch me. And I don't, I, I don't even remember the word that I gave him, but I gave him this word and he lit up even as I was dying inside. And we got to the bottom of the escalator and he stopped and wanted to continue to talk and I freaked out and I ran away. I don't even know where he went after that. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Never saw him again. But what does it look like to leave the imprint of the Father's heart on someone that you meet? Sometimes it's just putting a hand on the shoulder and releasing love or grace word of encouragement I'm thinking of you our greeters on a Sunday morning have that opportunity over and over and over again to simply leave the imprint of the Father's heart on everyone they come in contact with I always have this picture of the works of darkness just being cut off by the fiery sword of the Lord just through a greeting don't ever underestimate the small things when you carry the big, big name of Jesus. You, uh, what's your name? The mask right there. Sakia. Oh, oh, I was warned about you. I got a text from Christine. I just glanced at you while you were coming for communion and I saw your earrings and I don't I didn't see them because you know my eyes are a little blurry but but I felt like the Lord said that you're wearing a nation on your ears that you're wearing a continent that he's given you the capacity, the ability to hear for a nation. And he's given you a burden, but it's not too heavy. It's not a burden that you even release to him. It's a burden that he's given to you to carry for a people for your household but for a people and that the prayers that you release in secret carry great weight great weight and, and now because and I might have even met you once before I'm not sure no okay now I'm, I'm kind of I understand a little she told me a little bit about you 
And so this makes sense. But the Lord wants you to know that he sees the tears that you shed in secret. He sees the sacrifice that you've made that no one else knows. And that there are seeds that have gone into the ground, into the dark space, that will bear fruit. And long after you're gone, oaks of righteousness will rise up because of what you have sown from your life today. And so I just speak a blessing over you. I speak even a financial blessing over you and over your life. I speak an increase and shalom. I speak, I just see even a, a, a rallying of people around you and that your, uh, your doctrine will not be fashioned, your thoughts of God, your thoughts of the kingdom will not be fashioned by negative past experiences, but by the goodness of God, the glory of God, the greatness of his kingdom, and that his power will be perfected in your weaknesses even as there will be a, a, a people that will rally around you and love you in a way that you never thought possible. Amen, amen, amen. Sakia. That's your name? Sophia? Sakia. I love that name. Is it, what, what is the... Oh. Oh. That's awesome. That's amazing. So that's the imprint of the Father's heart. Amen. I bless you. I bless you. So when we speak of leaving the imprint of the Father's heart, every move or every movement of God starts with a person, a people, a city pockets of people even in hidden places I love the Welsh revival it's one of my favorites I mean it's my favorite I've read books and even written songs based on words and prayers that were spoken at the Welsh revival and God used a man named Evan Roberts oh it's not about a man yeah I mean God uses people so lay down your pride. Get up out of your dullness. Maybe go to a meeting or a conference somewhere. People will say, well, we don't need to ask for more of God. We have all of God that we will ever need. Well, you know what? If that were true, you'd be a lot more effective than you are right now. And I, you know, we get caught up in semantics, especially on the other side of revival, and we come up with words and, you know, things, and we critique words that were already spoken. And I'm not into semantics. I don't care if we do have all of Holy Spirit that we'll ever have, then, then the prayer needs to be, God, make me become more aware of your presence. It's like that song, let us become more aware of your presence. I'm not into semantics. I'm into results. So whatever the prayer is, we need to become aware of more of God. In the fear, 
the awe and the love of the one who has called us according to his glory and goodness. And that's where the awe and sobriety of these moments of conception come when we recall that many are called but few are chosen. The called ones will be the ones that might say, well, it's not about a man. Or the called ones might be the ones that say, oh, well, we don't need to ask more of God because, because we have all of God. It's the called ones that might say things like, well, you know, when we worship, we got to stop asking God for things. We, we just need to focus on him and his glory and his... Look, read the Psalms. There's supplication all over the Psalms. I remember that critique coming to me as a worship leader in the 90s in revival, and people would say, well, why are, you know, you're asking for too many things in worship. And so I went, and I began to highlight through the Psalms every time the psalmist asked for stuff. Some of those Psalms, they, they end kind of gloom and doomy. Because God isn't interested in us always acting like we're okay. He's interested in honesty. I want this house to be a chosen house. I know we're called. I know I'm called. But I want to be chosen. And I don't, I don't want to be known as a house that has, you know, these cool little lights that hang and a whole bunch of these things we got to fix because they every once in a while they freak out. I want to be known as a people who have been with God. Yet we, it is appropriate for us to make things look glorious in a place where we worship. There is precedent in Scripture for that. It's appropriate for us to keep a tidy house just like you would in your own home. Some of you are like, well, I don't really clean my house. My house is well, I don't know. Call Debbie. She'll put your house in order. You should have seen my room before we got married. Just my room. It's a miracle that we even got married after she saw my room. I have thus been trained. A sentence the Lord dropped in my heart close to 20 years ago was this. The few contend for the, the extreme to bring the masses out of the mundane. The few contend for the, the extreme to bring the masses out of the mundane. We got to get out of the mundane things of life and get into the extreme nature of the kingdom. The difference for those who have entered into salvation between being called and being chosen is similar to the different dynamic between those who have the Spirit of God within them and those who also have the Spirit of God moving upon them. See, we could say, well, I have the Spirit of God in me, therefore, I have all of God that I will ever need. Well, it's not about your need. It's the Spirit of the living God upon you to preach 
to bring good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort all who mourn, to set captives free? The answer is yes, in the sense that he is available to you. But have you allowed him and are you allowing him to move upon you? See, the spirit of the living God in you is for the benefit of you. The spirit of the living God moving upon you is how he flows through you. One is for the benefit of self. The other will cause you to be the change agent everywhere you go. I remember Maybell way back, we used to meet and have meetings and, and we would say, we're in this for the long haul. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Some of those people that were in those meetings aren't here anymore because they got tripped up in a sprint instead of running for the long haul. My brother, brother-in-law ran marathons. He's run a few. I can't even conceive of it, to be honest with you. Like, the best ones will run for two hours straight. Like, if I ran for two hours straight, I, I don't even know how far I would get. I mean, let's be clear. It's, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> Farthest I ran ever was 5.6 miles in high school, and it was the worst day of my life. That was measurable. You know, if you throw a ball in front of me, I'll chase that thing like a dog. But just to run for a, a, an end point that you don't even see? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm too ADD for that. I don't know. I'd be like, squirrel, I need something to chase. But when you're in a marathon, you don't, you don't get swayed by some pebble that was in your path at mile 10. Because you're going for mile 26. And when you get to mile 26, let me tell you, you're not thinking about that pebble or that stone or that obstacle that was in your way at mile 10. You're looking at the finish line. We went. We went to the marathon one year, and we were at the, the finish line. It was before the, the bombing. But I was stunned and moved emotionally to the point where, I don't know, for how many hours, five hours we were there, six hours we were there, and I lost my voice because I was so moved to cheer these people on. As at mile 26, they were running faster than where they were running at mile 10 because they realized this is the goal that last eighth of a mile I can't imagine and then there were others that collapsed because their bodies just wouldn't go anymore and we saw people that would stop their own race to pick up the one who couldn't make it and carry them that last eighth mile I don't have to go to church. I am the church. No, you're not. Because if you are not gathering and you are not faithful, 
then you will not be in relationship with people that will pick you up when you have collapsed in your call, just when you're at the point where you're going to reach your destiny and you become depleted because you've been running on your own for 26 miles and you just can't go anymore and you're, you're thinking, I'm never going to make it. And just when you get to that point, you look to your right and you see Diane now. You look to your left and you see Missy Odell. And you got a voice behind you and Mama Verna. Say, you better know where that finish line is. That's what the body is. Psalm 27. We're in the month of Elul in the Hebrew calendar. It's the last month of the year before Rosh Hashanah, before the Hebrew New Year. And this month is a time of reflection. And many Jews will recite Psalm 27 daily as they think back upon the year and begin to look forward to that which is next. We enter into the high holy days. Psalm 27 is a honest psalm from the heart of David. I'm going to read out of the New American Standard today. And we're going to crash close this thing because it's, it's already late. And there's just such a prophetic flow here. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war arise against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. I could just stop and preach that, but we're moving on to verse 4. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above all my enemies. I added all. I'm getting excited. Revised Paul edition. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts. Somebody say shout of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. You know, somebody wrote me, religious police, you know, because I was talking about walking toward the face of God, and they said, we, we, we can't walk toward the face of God. The Bible says no man can see the face of God and live. And my response was, have you read the Bible? And it went on and on and on, but here we go. David himself, a man after God's own heart, says, when you said, seek my face, which God said, seek my face, therefore, maybe we should seek his face and not worry about the consequence. 
My heart said to you, your, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. How many have experienced that? In such as breathe out violence, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Selah. I've taught this idea of courage in various ways over the years. But sometimes we're waiting for courage to come for us when the Bible keeps saying, take it. Just take courage. I'm an aggressive guy by nature, a little bit less aggressive in my older age because, you know, sometimes aggression hurts on the other side of aggression. I used to like hitting things and I used to like being hit. No, not so much. Played ice hockey. You know, go ahead, hit me. I played soccer, but I had an American football player mentality. I knocked people out. I got knocked out. Some guy lost a tooth in my head. It's good times. I love that stuff. I used to do martial arts. You just stand there and you have two guys on either side of you letting them kick you. Loved it. I'm 50 now. Don't hit me. It hurts. Every once in a while, I get embarrassed driving to church on a Sunday morning like this morning. Me and Papa, we're both flying in. He's coming down like in front of where Fresh City used to be, and I came the back way because I'm like, oh, I see the light is red up there, and uh, I got a twin turbo V6. He's got a Camry. Who's going to win? But he stopped and waved me on. I was like, oh, my God, that was Papa. Oh, had my sunglasses on, so when we got here, I took them off in hopes that he wouldn't know it was me. You knew it was me, didn't you? Oh. Yeah. Boys and their toys. I'm fairly courageous when I drive, or foolish. But we have keys to courage right in this text right here. I'm going to rock through these. Number one is bring a sacrifice of praise with shouts of joy. If you're, not, if you're feeling like under your circumstances instead of over them, hey, bring a sacrifice of praise with shouts of joy. Sometimes we're waiting for something in us to cause a response for him when sometimes we just got to act in obedience and understand that we have to call things that are not as though they are. And that's what a shout of praise is. You can be living in a difficulty and shout your way out of it. Bring a sacrifice of praise with shouts of joy. Your enemies encamping around you, 
shout. Someone's bringing false witness against you, shout. You woke up on the wrong side of the bed, shout, but you know, shout good things. First two words out of my mouth when I rolled out of bed this morning, they weren't necessarily good things, but I caught myself. I said, sorry, Jesus, you're glorious. Number two, be a student of the ways of God. That's out of verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. I, I like that he throws because of my foes in there, but he's being honest. Is that doctrinally correct? No. You want to learn the ways of God because that's what we're supposed to do. Your foes are irrelevant, but sometimes they feel relevant. And in that moment, it's okay to say to the Lord, teach me your ways because of my foes. Because sometimes the Lord will allow foes to come into your life to expose a weakness that you thought you had hidden from the world and from him. And in that moment, you've got to say, oh, teach me your ways. Number three, be led by the voice of God. That's verse 11b. Well, that's what I put. But lead me on a level path. How, do you, how does he lead you? By his voice. How do you follow his voice? What do we want to be known as? A people who have been with God. And number four, wait upon the Lord. But you're not waiting for some charismatic magic trick to happen. When I was in eighth grade, we played soccer. I played soccer, scored a goal. Now, we had plans to go to the Omni Parker house for dinner. Back then, it was kind of a place to go. Now, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it might still be nice. I don't know. I haven't been there in years, but that's where we went. And there was this older lady who was sort of a socialite that was just going from table to table. It was one of those restaurants where you had like, I don't know, like four waiters per table, and each one did something different. You had like the head waiter. Of course, you had the maitre d' who, just, who gave roses to all the ladies as they walked in. And then you had the head waiter for your table, and then you had the water person. Then you, I, I don't know, I was in eighth grade, I didn't care. It was a little awkward for me, because the dude, like, when I eat bread, like, I eat bread. I'm not neat. I'm 50, I'm still not neat. Well, we were at Olive Garden yesterday, and there's crumbs all over the place in front of me. But at the Omni Parker house back then, they had one guy who was assigned with a little brush and like a, like a fancy dustpan, and he comes up, and he's like brushing the table, and he's brushing my lap off. Now, I don't think they would do that now. It was a little awkward because I was the messiest guy at the table. But the socialite came by, and it was apparent that she had had a few glasses of wine. And she was talking to my parents. Oh, you know, hey, what are you here for? Blah, 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 blah. I had my polyester suit on. So comfortable. And my mom looked at her and she goes, oh, we're just celebrating today because my son scored a goal. Now, that wasn't true at all. We were, we'd already planned. I mean, we were celebrating. I mean, no, that's not true. It was true. But we had already planned to go to dinner. But I was like, yeah, we went to a fancy restaurant because we scored a goal. But those waiters, I remember watching. And there was always three to four of them standing, looking at our table. Their gaze did not avert. They did not get distracted. They were on point and they were on mission so that at the appointed time for that which they were called to do, when that moment came, they moved. That's what waiting on the Lord is like. 
It's not some, hey, you know, hey, I, I got a prophetic word and now I'm just going to sit and wait on the Lord for it to come to pass. That's not how prophecy works. Look, if you got a prophetic word this morning, then the fear of God ought to be on you because it's incumbent upon you to now walk that out. God is not in the business of doing things for you. He is in the business of empowering you so that you can go do things for him. And sometimes we pine away for this idea of what we think revival is when what we're really saying is that we just want God to come in and do stuff for us, which I do. I love it. I love sovereign moves of God. But let me tell you, maybe you're supposed to be the person that will be the sovereign move of God for someone else. God doesn't use me. He's going to use you. Wait intensely with intention for the goodness of the Lord to manifest. And when he moves, you go. How can you possibly do this? You reach into his word, you release a sound. And you can all do this. You were made for this. Deuteronomy 30 says that you were made for this. It's not too hard for you. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. Just write Deuteronomy 30 down and read it later so when I read through this psalm years ago I, I just did word studies throughout Psalm 27 and by the inspiration of the Lord I, I wrote my own paraphrase of the psalm but just verse 1, the Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? The Lord, there's yud heh vav -Hey, the eternal self-existent one. My light, in, in the Hebrew, it means the light, the light of the sun, the sunshine of the dawn that transitions our world from darkness to light, or even lightnings. That's the, sh the sharp, suddenly light that cracks the sky, creating thunder. Salvation, it's our deliverance, rescue, safety, and welfare. Welfare. Well, I don't believe that God wants to bless people. Oh, yes, he does. He started with a blessing in Genesis 1.28, and he's still blessing now. The word of God never falls to the ground void. When he speaks a blessing upon mankind, it's incumbent upon us to position ourselves in the space of his name, in the light of his face, because that's where the blessing is. We want to focus on the warnings, because if we focus on the warnings, then we feel like that we can contribute to salvation somehow. We can get into some legalistic cycle of behavior modification that makes us feel good about ourselves, but it's by grace that we are saved through faith, not through works, lest we have something to boast about. So when God is issuing a warning from Genesis to Revelation, what he's saying is, you're starting to creep out of the space, of the sacred space of my name and my voice, but if you stay in my voice and my name, that's where the goodness is. You wanna see the goodness of the, the Lord in the land of the living? Then get back inside the will of God. You have willingly stepped outside of it then you will be outside of blessing and that's what the warning is for and so we have this idea of fear fear terror awe reverence and respect of God 
And you move further on into the psalm, it talks about a stronghold. It's an elevated place or means of safety, a refuge, fortress, protection. And this idea of life, it's to have a prosperous, this is in the Hebrew, a prosperous, bountiful, blessed, favorable circumstance in life. The theological, uh, theological words of the Old Testament defines shalom as that. Well, I don't believe God wants to bless you. Shalom. A prosperous, bountiful, blessed favorable circumstance in life. Whom shall I be afraid? Tremble, live in terror, to make tremble in fear. When we fear God, we have this awe of this eternal God whose depths are unsearchable, yet still we are tasked to search him out. When we come near, when we start with encounter, we come into that place where our heart begins to beat fast. That's all in that Hebrew word for fear and awe. So what does it all mean? I sat and I read this psalm and I went through word by word and studied the Hebrew for weeks and it, it just began to unfold and I probably in the span of five minutes I wrote this and I want you to crawl up inside this thing out inside this declaration that's coming from this psalm what does it all mean close your eyes hey I've had an encounter with the Lord God of creation. My loving Father, who is the self-existent and pre-existent and, and eternally existent one. The light of his countenance is like switching on a spotlight in a pitch dark room. His light came upon me suddenly like lightning in the night sky in such a way that all things that were hidden in darkness are now revealed in light. In that light, I have found my salvation. I have found my safety and my welfare is secure in him. Now that the light of his face has consumed me, what can, cause a, uh, what can come against me that could possibly cause me to fear. He has lifted me up to a fortified place of safety and vision in him. I am in my circumstances, but yet I am above them. With a 360 degree view of my life and the light of eternal in the light of eternity, suddenly things don't seem that bad. Not only do things not seem so bad, but the light of his countenance has shone down upon me as the gaze of a father toward his son with the promise of a prosperous, bountiful, blessed, and favorable circumstance of life in him. So really, whom shall I fear? I have encountered the one who is above all else. There is nothing else in life or death that will create a greater sense of awe than the one I now know. I have encountered the thunders and lightnings of the Father. I have seen and heard the sound of my Father walking in the garden in the cool of the day. There is no greater power, no greater being, no greater light that can ever enter my life from this day forward that would cause me to have such a feeling of awe and reverence or fear 
fear of any kind because I have encountered the name above all names, the God above all gods, the king over all rulers, authorities, principalities, and powers, and I have encountered Jesus, the lover of my soul. There is no other lover that will make my heart beat faster than the bridegroom who is jealous for his bride. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He has delivered me. Oh, give him a shout of praise this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidry is the senior pastor at the Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.